Good morning. Again, we come to the last Sunday morning of, of this work, and uh, you can see the number of uh, our kiddos has dwindled a little bit, and uh, kind of a rule of attrition, I guess. And uh, I see tired faces, uh, but I hope and pray that the week has been a blessing uh, to all of you who have been able to participate um, and be a part um, of the work that Brother Scott um, has done with you in singing instruction. Uh, I know there have been countless Bible studies that have taken place in the homes and certainly uh, in our assemblies and our lessons together as we've considered the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I opened last Sunday and I said, you know, this meeting was scheduled for the last three years. And uh, when we scheduled this meeting and we discussed topics, the leadership said they wanted to, to do the series, The Faces at the Cross. And, and I said, I'm happy to do that. And as we canceled the first year and, and we canceled last year because of the pandemic, in my mind, I thought maybe there's something else we need to cover. Maybe there's more relevant topics that uh, we ought to spend a week talking about. And in discussion with the leadership, they said, no, we want that series on the cross. And I want to tell you why I believe they wanted this series. It's because the cross is the most relevant thing to our Christianity. The cross defines who we are as God's people. And no matter what pandemic, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, the story of the cross of Jesus Christ continues to change lives today. And we can seek worldly wisdom and you can seek the wisest counselors and philosophies of this world and, and man and mankind. And at the end of the day, if that wisdom guides you away from the cross of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Messiah, I want to tell you, those teachings are in vain. But when we centrally focus our life upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, everything else makes sense. And it makes sense because it's the perfect will of God. And it was His will from the very beginning. I want to start this morning, I want to look at a passage found in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers... But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God." You see, as we consider the cross and we look at the cross from the various perspectives of those who witnessed and had experienced a life with Jesus, we can learn. And we can learn things as we've learned this week from the Apostle John, who was that dear friend and stayed loyal to Jesus. We can learn from the perspective of, of Judas as one who had fallen away and betrayed the Son of God. We can learn from those such as Mary who had that intimate relationship with Jesus as her own son. 
We learned last night and talked about the perspective of the cross from Satan's point of view. And what Satan thought he had accomplished in murdering Jesus ultimately brought about his own demise and destruction of any perceived power that he might have had. But all of those different perspectives really don't matter. Because there's one person whose plan this was from the very beginning. And it's his perspective that defines... And it's his perspective that gives the cross of Jesus the meaning of justification and reconciliation of humanity. You see, the entire Bible is one story. Back home, we are going through a series of studies on our Sunday mornings, and it's called 66 Books, One Story. And the entirety of the Bible is a collection of 66 different books compiled and written over thousands of years by a number of different men who had been inspired of God to record what we have in the Holy Scriptures. But all of those fit together to tell one story. And that story is that in the beginning, God created man. Adam and Eve fell in giving into temptation and committed sin. And the rest of the story is about God redeeming humanity through the gift and offering of Jesus Christ. And you and I live after the time of the cross and reflect back on that sacrifice and have to understand that God's plan from the very beginning was that Jesus would come and die for your sins. I want to tell you this morning, it's his perspective of the cross that ultimately matters. And as we think about the cross this morning, we're going to think about the cross from the perspective of a holy and perfect God. And as you think about the cross this morning, I want you to think, what is it that God the Father saw when he saw his only begotten son dying for us? In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on the cross and his time on the earth is coming to an end. He knows his death is imminent. He knows he is taking his final breaths. He's saying his final words. And in Matthew 27 and 45, he cries out. And it was the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we read this passage and we say, well, darkness had covered the earth. For those three hours from noon till 3 p.m. And we say God had turned his back upon his only begotten son. And when you think about the idea of forsaking, that's what that means. Is you turn your back on something. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross and he's crying out, he is crying out in his humanity. Saying he was alone. There was no one there with him. And he's crying out to God saying, why have you turned your back on me? But what if I told you this morning, God watched Jesus die. He didn't turn his back as Jesus took his last breaths. He didn't turn a blind eye to the sacrifice that was being made. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that he saw the travail of his soul. And he watched as humanity took his son, and murdered him on that cross. 
And the reason for that is because God is just and righteous. And you say, well, what is just and righteous about an innocent man dying for sins that he did not commit? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of the isles be glad, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So we have to understand some things about God. Number one, that his throne, his authority is established upon what? Righteousness and justice. Now, is our world just? No. There are things that happen on a daily basis that indicate to us that this world doesn't understand the idea of justice. But God understands it perfectly, and in anything that God does, guess what? It's right. And His justice demands payment for sins. Think about some of the definitions or words that we use in our vernacular today. We talk about criminal justice. And I want to ask you, has anyone that's ever been innocent, suffered, and been put in prison for years and years for crimes they didn't commit? Has that ever happened? So is our justice system perfect? No. It may be the best that we can have, but in no way is it perfect. How many times have we seen people become exonerated because of DNA evidence that overturns a verdict after they've spent years in prison for a crime they didn't commit? And that's unfortunate. But what that reveals to us is man's idea of justice is never going to be perfect, yet God is a God of justice. The Justice Department, social justice, all these things that require us to think and to endeavor to find what is fair and right and equitable. But what we find with man's systems of justice, guess what those things are? It's imperfect, it's arbitrary, and it's unfair. But God's justice and his righteousness are perfect. So when we say God is a God that is righteous, that means everything he does is right. And if it was God's plan for the foundation of the world for Jesus to come and be the perfect sacrifice and die for the sins of humanity, then guess what? That's right. Because he's a God of righteousness. Revelation 15 of verse 3 puts it this way regarding God's just nature um, and his righteousness. It says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. It means what God determines to do and what he determines to be right is right. And one day, guess what God is going to do? God is going to judge our life. There's not a single human being that will escape the judgment of God. Everyone will stand before him and give account of the things that we've done in this body, whether they be good or bad. And I want you to understand this morning, it's not about having more good that you've done in your life than bad. And hoping that you can balance those scales. 
Because our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy and perfect God. And we can't have a perspective of God that we just have to do good and make Him happy. Because no matter how much good you do, except for the cross of Jesus Christ, your righteousness means nothing. You see, God was righteous in giving us a Savior because He understood the gravity of sin. The question is, do we understand the gravity of sin? You know, God understood sin. And God told Adam and Eve from the very beginning that if you eat this fruit, you will die. Who did Eve believe? Because Satan came along just a a little while later and said, what? No, if you eat that fruit, you won't die. And Eve had a choice to make. And who did she believe? Ultimately, she believed the serpent. And she gave in because of her lust and the temptation that she saw that that fruit would be good. It was pleasant to the eyes, that it would taste good, and it was desired to make them wise and open their eyes to good and evil, and they would be like God as Satan had lied to her about. And she took the fruit and she ate and gave also to her husband Adam, and he ate. Their eyes were open, and in that moment of time, they were separated from God. God understands the gravity of sin, and therefore he requires a payment for that sin to be accounted for. And however God determines to handle and deal with the penalty of sin will be right and perfect. And you and I will not be able to utter a word in defense of ourselves on that day of judgment. Sometimes I think we view the day of judgment as if we get to give a defense of ourselves. There's no defense to be given. All that's going to matter is does God see the blood of Christ? Or does he see your sins? And if he sees your sins, you're going to be separated from him forever. But if he sees the blood of his son... He'll see his righteousness that you are clothed in and he will give you an eternity with him and his judgment will be perfect. Galatians 6 and verse 7 teaches us that we reap what we sow. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What are you sowing today? I know it's very easy at the end of a long week of spiritual focus to say, man, I'm sowing seeds of spiritual things. I'm trying to serve God. I've spent a week singing praises to his name. I've spent a week opening up his word and studying and learning and growing spiritually and building relationships with God's people and being strengthened in my spirit. But what about tomorrow? What about next week? Where's your focus going to be? You see, understand that we're not talking about giving God a week of our life, a week of our summer. He says you will reap what you sow. And if you're spending your life sowing to the flesh and you're spending your life doing what you want to do and not being considerate of the will of God, then one day you're going to reap that. 
You can't sow to the flesh and live in sin and then expect God to give you a reward of eternity that you have never placed value in. And God is not mocked. You are not smarter than God. You can't live a life in rebellion to him and then trick him into saving you. It will not work. For he sees the heart. And young people, you might fool mom and dad. You might fool the leaders in your local home congregations. I want to tell you, you won't fool God. If your heart's not right, God knows it. God examines the depth of your soul. You can put on the right clothes. You can come and smile and you can shake hands. And you can come to the building three times a week. And I want to tell you, that doesn't make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is having a heart longing and yearning to know God. And living a life that is a sacrificial life in reflection to the life that Jesus gave to you on the cross. Now, what is justification? We hear words like uh, reconciled, redeemed, justified. What is justification? Here's my basic interpretation. You ever balance a checkbook? We hardly even carry a checkbook anymore. Everything's just automatically done through our debited accounts, and we can pull up our account on our phone, and we can see the money just flying out of that account, can't we? <laughs> you ever pull up that account and say, man, where did all the money go? And you start looking at your transactions. There, that's where it went. And it'll give you a running total. You know, used to, I remember my mom and dad would sit down every month, and they would have a ledger book. And you know what they would do? They would go through and they would look at all the checks they had written for that month and they started with a large number of how much money they had in the account and they started doing what? Subtracting numbers. And at the end of that ledger, they hoped to have more money left, right? And sometimes they would write a check on a Thursday knowing they didn't get paid until Monday because <laughs> you could float a check. I didn't know what that was. Can't do that anymore. Because they automatically debit that out of your account right then. Why? Because we want things to be justified. We want everything to be accounted for. And when you write a check, you better have money in the account to cover the amount of that check. Well, guess what? We've written a very large check of sin. And for that check of sin to be cleared, God had to offer something so valuable to be able to justify our account. Have you ever been broken because of your sin? I talked about this a little bit last night. Have you ever struggled with sin? I'll ask you, have you ever been broken and understood the gravity of what your sin has caused? And I'm not talking about the natural consequences of your sin, hurting yourself or hurting those who are nearest and dearest to you. Do you understand your sin hurt Jesus? You ever thought about that? Your sin caused God's plan of redemption to come into place. Oh yeah, we can blame Adam and Eve, and certainly they were the first ones. But you know, I'm not accountable for Adam and Eve's sin. I'm accountable for my sins. 
And when I think about my account and the sins that I've accumulated in my life, there ought to be shame and regret and guilt in knowing that God had to send Jesus to justify and reconcile my debt so that I could be forgiven. You see, his righteousness requires justice and righteousness. The psalmist wrote Psalm 11 and verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. In Romans chapter 8, Paul puts it this way. He says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Well, how did he do that? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. You see, God is righteous in fulfilling his own requirements. And if we're going to reap what we sow and we have accumulated a debt of sin that is laid to our account, the only way for us to be justified is for God to accept a sacrifice that would be sufficient to erase that debt. And he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. So when God the Father looks down and sees the cross and sees Jesus hanging there, he doesn't just see his only begotten son dying. What he sees is your sin being forgiven. And I want to tell you it pleased him to see that. In John 17 and verse 25, Jesus in his prayer, we've talked about this week and in certain excerpts of that prayer. In verse 25, Jesus says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. So as Jesus recognized the righteousness of his Father, Jesus being God in the flesh, guess what Jesus had? Jesus had all that righteousness of his Father inherent in him. You ever read passages where the Bible talks about that Jesus and the Father were one? Or Jesus said, I and my Father are one? He wasn't saying they're one entity together. They were separate persons, but they were perfectly aligned in mission and purpose and what it is they were working together to do to accomplish for us as God's people. Jesus was the perfect manifestation of God's righteousness to humanity. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. A sinless person. Has this world ever seen such a thing? Not someone that was old enough to be accountable to God. Except for Jesus. And not only was Jesus willing to take his perfect life and offer it as a sacrifice for your sins. But his father in heaven said, that's my plan. You know what that means? That means from the very beginning, before the creation, before you were ever even born, guess who loved you? 
God did. Guess who wanted to have a relationship with you? God did. Guess who wanted to do whatever he had to do to make sure that you could be with him in heaven for eternity? God did. Is there anything that we shouldn't owe God? Is there anything in our life that we should withhold from service to him? You see, God required payment of sin. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has been offended. God's law has been broken. God's justice requires payment. And we often sing the song that he paid a debt that he did not owe. And he paid a debt that we could not pay. You see, as individualistic as we like to think and that we can handle our own problems, I want to tell you, you can't solve your own problem of sin. There's no method. There's no process. There's nothing that you alone can do to fix this debt. You know what? We don't like that, do we? (laughs) Because if I've got a problem, you know what? I want to fix it. If I'm doing something that's causing pain and and causing a problem in my life, I just want to fix it myself. But as long as you try to fix your problem of sin on your own by yourself, you're not accessing the power that God gave so that you could overcome that sin. And you selfishly are rebelling against God's plan of reconciliation and salvation. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You ever think about as Jesus was being beaten, as we described last Sunday morning, And that whip lashed across his back. And the lead balls or the pieces of bone or the fragments of iron that were at the end of that whip tore into his flesh and ripped open his back and his shoulders and his legs. You ever think which one of those lashes of that whip was for my sins? Which one of the strikes across his forehead where that crown of thorns had been placed that drove those thorns further and further into his scalp. Which one of those was because of the things that I've done wrong? Maybe it was the soldier that stretched out his arms and put the nails through his wrists. Maybe that was because of the lies that I've told in my life. You ever thought about that? Because it was our sin that put him on the cross. And it was his love and the plan of God that kept him there to die. All for you. Don't you think it would be wise to accept such a gift? And to understand that it was our sin that put him there. 
but it was God's perfect plan because of how much he loved us. And you and I don't have to live a life full of guilt, full of shame. We can actually have liberty and freedom. We can overcome sin. We don't have to be a slave to it any longer because Jesus has set us free. But until you accept the offering of the payment for your debt, there's no liberty, there's no freedom, and you continue to be in bondage. In Isaiah 53, in that prophecy of the suffering servant, in verse 11, the Bible says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt uneasy in your spirit? You ever had anxiety and worry over things you've done? You ever tried to go to bed at night knowing (laughs) the type of person you've been that day and you just can't rest? You know what that means? You don't have peace with God. And that's a good thing. Because if you have sinned and you've fallen short of God's grace and you forget the salvation that lies within Jesus and you're in rebellion against God, you need to know you don't have peace with God. But Jesus died so that you could have that peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that this world will never, ever be able to realize and attain. You know, that's why Christians can face death with confidence. (laughs) Because we don't fear the grave, do we? There is no fear in death. Because our Savior was raised from the dead, and He was victorious over death. Therefore, we know we have a great promise that we will be raised to life again, even if we have to taste of death before He returns. But sin causes uneasiness. And a lack of peace with God. And for God to have peace with humanity and us to have peace with God, Jesus had to be that perfect sacrifice. God was on that cross forgiving mankind as we've studied this week in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. And He went to the cross forgiving His own creation. You know, God could have just wiped out humanity and said, I'm done. You know, there were a few times in the Bible where he decided he was going to do that. One of them very prominent was in the days of a man named Noah. As the world was full of wickedness and sin, God looked down and the Bible says it repented him that he had made man. And he said, I will wipe them off the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You and I have found grace in the eyes of our creator God. And he has given us a salvation in Christ. Not to continue to populate this earth with 
earthly beings, but to perpetuate a spiritual life and ultimately an eternity with God in heaven. And God has always been willing to accept and receive sacrifices. You know, as Noah and his family got off the ark, in Genesis chapter 8, what did they do? Noah built an altar. And on that altar, he took of the clean beast and the fowl that he had kept on that ark. And what did he do? He offered a burnt offering, a sacrifice. And God looked down at all of that death of these animals being burnt and sacrificed. And the Bible says, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. I'll tell you, it had nothing to do with the smell of burning flesh of those animals that was sweet before God. What was sweet was seeing the thanksgiving that Noah had to his creator for saving his life. Imagine what God saw and the savor that came up before him as not animals were sacrificed, as not animals were offered as burnt offerings, but as his only begotten son hung on that cross. And God watched it all. In Isaiah 53, you back up to verse 10. We read verse 11 just a few moments ago. Isaiah in that prophecy says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's what God saw. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't saying, my God, my God, why aren't you looking? Why aren't you saving me? He actually was quoting something from the 22nd Psalm. And in that quotation of Psalm 22 and verse 1, he would have been drawing the mind of all of those who were there at the foot of that cross who would have heard his voice cry out and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that would have drawn their minds to this 22nd Psalm. And you know what the 22nd Psalm was all about? It was all about the suffering of the Messiah. And what Jesus was crying out was not that God has turned his back on Jesus, but that Jesus was fulfilling the very prophecy found in Psalm 22. And the end of that 22nd Psalm, verse 31, says this. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Was Jesus alone? Yeah. In his humanity, did he feel like he was hanging there on the cross with no one there to defend him? Yeah. 
Did he in his humanity maybe even feel like his father had deserted him on that cross? I want to tell you, he did it because it was God's plan. Now this morning, you need to consider your life. You need to consider the choices that you've made. You need to consider the seriousness and the gravity of sin. And then you need to reconcile that in your mind with the offering of Jesus. Because one day, Jesus is going to judge you. You know why Jesus gets to judge us? It's because he died for us. He fulfilled the plan of God, and the Bible says that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But if you wait till the day that the Lord forces you to bow and confess him, it will be too late to save your soul. But if you respond in love to a dying Savior today, all the promises of God... Jesus will deliver. You ever wonder what God sees when he looks at our life? Does he see our flaws? Does he see the mistakes we've made? Does he see the outright rebellion that we've had in our hearts at times? That makes me feel ashamed. But I want you to know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we're perfect. He didn't die for us at our best. He died for us when we were at our worst. That's how much he loves you this morning. The last thing I want to tell you as you consider your life is understand the offering that God has made. He paid the price. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus felt alone. Jesus suffered in agony. And all of that wasn't just so we could tell a neat story. It was there to fulfill the plan of a holy and perfect and righteous God. And as Jesus hung on that cross and he proclaimed, it is finished, what he said is, I've finished the work that my perfect God put in front of me to do. And he laid down his life so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. This morning, do you need to be forgiven? I don't know. I love it when preachers say, we never know the hearts and minds. Well, (laughs) duh. (laughs) You're not God. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? I don't know what's going on in your life. I I don't know where you were at last night. I know where I was. I was up here at church. I don't know where you were at this morning. I don't know what thoughts you've had. I don't know what you searched on your computer last night or yesterday or last week. 
I don't know what you allowed your eyes to see and gaze upon. I don't know what thoughts and intents you've had in your heart this past week. I don't know any of that. But you do. I want to tell you, if you walk out of this building today and nothing changes and your thoughts and your life was sinful this past week and you reject the offering of Jesus and the forgiveness of the cross, I want to tell you, you're a fool. Because it's not about you being perfect, but it is about you accepting an offering. And that offering has already been made. Jesus has already died. His blood has already been shed. And God is crying and pleading with you, simply come and accept my offering. I want to tell you today, today, if you'll accept that offering, even though you still struggle with sin, God will provide the things necessary for you to continue to work to overcome the sinful patterns that you've established in your life. And one of the ways he does that is he gives us a community in the body of Christ, in the church. We're not perfect people, are we? But we are forgiven. And because we're forgiven, we can encourage one another to walk in the light and maintain the fellowship that we need with God and the wonderful fellowship that we can have with one another. And if you need that this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. Go ahead and get your psalm books out. Turn to the song that Brother Scott uh, instructed us would be the invitation song. And we have closed every service this week with this invitation. But this morning, I want you to take it very seriously. That if there's something sinful in your life, God has already paid for it. And he is offering you and extending to you his grace and mercy. All you have to do is reach out and accept it. You can be born again of the water and the spirit and being baptized into Jesus Christ. Coming in contact with the blood that was shed on that cross that can forgive you of your sins. That would make you a part of God's family to where God would look at your life and he would no longer see the sin that you've committed. But he will see the blood of his son and he will be pleased. Or if you've done that and you need prayers of reconciliation as a child of God, it's a wonderful, marvelous relationship we have with Him that through prayer, we can be reconciled to Him again. But none of that can happen without you making a decision today. Don't leave here without Jesus. Don't leave here without being obedient to the perfect will and plan of God for your sins and for your life. Come to Jesus as we stand and sing.